Welcome to episode five, Look Up List. I'm going to be fully transparent. It is pretty late at night. We it's ju- 914. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it feels late at night. And we just recorded an episode, ate some dinner. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired. But I am excited about this Look Up List. So I wanted to make sure that we did it because you had written down some really good things. And I found some pretty interesting um, information that I'm excited to share with you. So let's jump in. Um, You had asked about the weather in Reno in November, or I'm sorry, in January 2008. You had asked like, what is the exact weather? Because that's when the murder went down. Right. That's when she was abducted. Yeah. Um, And this is episode five, Brianna Dennison, by the way took place in Reno. Um, so in January 2008, the average high temperature in Reno was 43 degrees. The hottest day in January 2008 was 57 degrees. And in January 2008, Reno received five inches of snow, uh, according to extremeweatherwatch.com. And on January 21st, which I believe was the day after the Brianna went missing because I think she went missing on January 20th. Um, it snowed two inches. And then uh, six days later on January 27th, it snowed 2.2 inches. And then on February 3rd, it snowed half an inch. And then Brianna was found February 15th. So snow, I imagine, has some kind of factor in either preserving or unpreserving or something yeah. of her body remains yeah Yeah, because you know some of the episodes like Gloria was found in the desert in um, El Paso and it was like very hot and it said she was mummified which I don't know if we actually covered on the lookup list but mummified it's when the it kind of like dries out your body so much that it just all the liquid from your body um, evaporates and and you become kind of mummy like Your, your body becomes preserved in a dried out state I'd imagine the snow would have a somewhat different effect, you know, like keeping your body in cold. Like how you go in, I don't say this to be insensitive, but like how you go in the freezer when you die, they put you in a freezer in the morgue and stuff. Well, yeah, okay. I thought about people that die on Mount Everest 20 years later, climbers that are going up still can find or still do come across bodies. And I don't know how decomposed or undecomposed they are, but they Mm -hmm. are... Not fully decomposed. Oh, from yeah, because of the ice and the snow and the yeah. temperatures. Yeah. Um, okay, so this next one you had, you had written down Galaxy Airlines Flight 203. I want to see it, and yeah. I want to see it. There's a crash <clears throat> situation. Right. So the flight, which was returning from a gambling and Super Bowl trip sponsored by Caesars Tahoe, took off from runway 16R at Reno International Airport. Um Heavy vibrations started shortly after takeoff, and the pilots asked the tower for permission to make a left downwind turn, saying they needed to land. A short time later, the aircraft crashed about a mile and a half from the end of the runway and burst into flames. Debris was scattered across Highway 395 and South Virginia Street. A store and several vehicles on the ground were damaged. Of the 71 people aboard, initially three people survived. One died eight days later, 
in the, the hospital. Yeah, and yeah. one died several days later than that on the on February fourth. The sole survivor was a seventeen year old boy, George Lamson Jr., who was thrown clear of the aircraft and landed upright, conscious and still in his seat on South Virginia Street. Uh, you know, I have endless questions right now. What seat in aisle was he in? Okay, hold on. I'm going to tell you right now. So, of the passengers boarding the flight that night were Minneapolis residents George Lamson Sr. and his son, 17-year-old George Lamson Jr. As they got onto the plane, they sat down in a row of their choice. But they were soon confronted by another pair of passengers who insisted that the seats belonged to them. There was no seating chart, so they thought this was strange, but not wanting to fight, they elected to move somewhere else. George Lamson Jr. sat down in seat 6A, directly behind a bulkhead, while his father took the adjacent seat 6B, and his father died. What's a bulkhead? Um, I, I want to say it's where you keep your luggage above head. Okay, so 6A and 6B. also Towards the front of the plane. The only thing I know about when you don't have assigned seating, and it could be many other airlines, but right now in my mind, it's Southwest. Sure. I, where uh, were they flying from? Well, this was Galaxy Airlines, remember? Okay, but, okay, yes. Okay, yes. But where were they flying from? Slash two. Um, they were flying from Reno, uh-huh. and I don't know where they were going, but they only made it a mile and a half off the Reno runway. 6A and 6B are right next to each other, though. Um, yeah, it says his father took the adjacent seat 6B, so maybe across the aisle is what that means. And Yeah, maybe it was a very small plane, a one and one, because otherwise yeah. A and B, C are and D. One. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't know. Um, okay, I have another question. Okay. I don't remember what it was right now. Okay. Um, well, I'll tell you the rest of the information that I have. Um, numerous setbacks and technical difficulties um, kind of plagued this flight while it was still on the ground. And then once airborne, trouble started immediately when an unknown vibration uh, rocked the plane. And I took this from an article on Medium. Um, but it said, but the cause turned out to be much more insidious. The vibration itself was harmless and did not directly lead to the crash. Rather, the effect it had on the crew would turn out to be the key to the disaster. So as the crew fired up the number one and number four engines, the ground supervisor tried to make contacts with the pilots via the radio, but the headset had stopped working. So he indicated that he wanted to communicate with hand signals. The pilot acknowledged and said okay with hand signals i guess moments later the um the supervisor gave the signal to taxi to start going and the plane began to roll forward but he immediately noticed there was a problem one of the handlers on the ground hadn't finished disconnecting the some type of air hose so he signaled to the pilots to stop they walked over and helped um disable the air hose And once the hose was detached, he said, okay, continue taxing and go. Um, Neither the pilots nor the ground handlers realized that in the rush to disconnect the hose, nobody had remembered to close the air start door. Um, Is this in like the the turbine situation the wings the i don't know body. I, I guess i need to see a picture of it so this would have to go on a further lookup list but apparently the air start access door was not completely closed which caused vibrations on the plane and then 
the crew apparently was kind of frantic due to these vibrations and and that led to the crash from what I understand. There's a lot of extra info in there that I need. Sure, sure. Um, ultimately, it says the accident was caused by the failure of ground handlers to properly close the air start access door, which That's led the to the vibration, which led to the crash. Yeah. The air start... Yeah. Whatever is what and I here's, need to know. Um, this is George Lamson Jr. at 17. He survived. Was he part of... Uh... He looks military in some way. So the next one uh, that was written down was, why did Brianna's family move to Mendocino? And upon a little bit of a deeper dive into this, which I've realized that on these episodes, sometimes things that I don't think just... Like I, I read you know, in three articles that her family moved to Mendocino. I didn't really think wow, that requires a lot deeper dive. Like it was kind of just like, okay. Well, I don't think it often does. Sure. But so now after you had written down that question, I did dig more specifically into just that. And I found that actually Brianna was born in Reno and her family moved to Mendocino, which was her mother's hometown, Mm. after Brianna's father died when she was six years old. So she attended elementary school in Mendocino, but then her family returned to Reno several years later, and Brianna went to high school, her entire high school in Reno, graduated from high school. Her mom stayed in Reno, and her younger brother stayed in Reno, and then Brianna went back to California for college. Okay, got it. That makes, I mean, it it made sense. Otherwise, I could have made sense of it, but that ties it all together. Totally. Um, you also had, we had been wondering like, why did she live in Rome or when? And honestly, all that I could find is a snippet from her, her obituary, which I wasn't able, you, you had to like pay to see, to read this newspaper. So I could only see a little snippet, but it says that she studied abroad in Rome, Italy for a year with her family when she was middle school aged. So I don't know if her family moved to Rome huh. with her and then she just went to school there because her family was there. I couldn't, I really couldn't find anything more about that. Um, something that wasn't on your lookup list, but that I did find while going back through some of this, remember we talked about how Katie locked her door mm-hmm. and we were like, why the fuck did she lock her door? But the front door is unlocked. So I saw an interview with her. Um, and actually, and I don't know which is correct, but this interview I saw with her seemed to Um, imply that her bedroom was not on the second floor, that she did not share it with a roommate, that it was actually on the ground floor right next to the family room where Brianna was sleeping. And she explained that they locked their bedroom doors because they left the front door unlocked. They left the front door unlocked kind of like a hotel lobby. So people, the roommates could come and go. There was more than just her and one other roommate. Because there were like four roommates, kind of like a a sweet dorm or something where people would come in and out. Sure, they could have locked it because the other roommates presumably had a key. And also, none of their personal stuff was in the main area. It was all locked into their, or put in their personal rooms. Exactly. And they kept their bedroom doors locked. That makes sense. Yeah. And so that information that I initially had in the episode, you know, it could have been incorrect and this is the more correct, but... um, I think that that's something that I'm learning along the way that like some things that I'm not digging into more, maybe I need to dig into more and, and maybe not, maybe in the lookup list I do. Well, We're yeah, not always, I'm not, not always going to get it right the first time. Well, you may not always get it right. No one gets it right all the time. And also you may not get all the things that 
people want to ask right. or want to find out more about. Right. So this one was really interesting to me. You had written down what makes death row take so long before they actually execute the person on death row. Um, the simple and short answer is lengthy appeals processes, cause delays. So death sentence appeals go to the nation's highest courts to be decided. The appeals processes take a very long time. It can take even decades of delays before an execution takes place. Um, a quote from a perf- uh, assistant professor at um, Little Rock's Department of Criminal Justice said, there are steps that the government has to take in order to ensure they are executing the worst of the worst and they are not executing innocent people, which innocent people get executed too, but fine. Um, He said many factors come into play from the time a person is sentenced to to death until their day of execution. Um, This is specific to Arkansas because this is the quote that I found. But he said, oftentimes the state of Arkansas can have trouble acquiring the drugs necessary for the three-drug cocktail used for lethal injections in the state. A lot of these pharmaceutical companies are not really in favor of selling their drugs for the purpose of execution. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I found something else that uh, said, you know, the most significant slowdown is the appeals process. That process includes nine total steps. The first being a direct appeal, which is given to everyone sentenced to death. So I guess every person gets a chance to appeal. Yeah, gets a chance to appeal it. So they get a direct appeal. From there, they get there are post conviction proceedings um, where the defendants can raise issues like juror misconduct, newly discovered evidence, things like that. Um, according to the Bureau of Justice and Death Penalty Information Center. The average time from sentencing to execution um, is usually around 16 years. Wow. If if no appeals are raised, the process can happen in as soon as six months, but that almost never happens. 16 years. Wow. Think about being on on the hook, essentially, and that's putting it lightly. (laughs) 16 years. Well, imagine being the person who's waiting for death, and then also imagine being the family or the people involved in on the, either side, yeah. the the person who Ugh. whatever uh, awful atrocity was committed. Yep, yep. That family waiting for this person who's been convicted to be put to death. Terrible. And also the person who's uh, going to be essentially put to death. Or trying to not be. Oh, his yeah. family, their family. Um, so half of all death row um, exonerations have taken more than a decade. Um more than half of the exonerations since 2013 have taken 25 years or more. So those are people who have like Jeez. managed to appeal and appeal until they get off death row. Um, death row prisoners in the U.S. typically spend more than a decade awaiting execution or court rulings overturning their death sentences. More than half of all prisoners currently sentenced to death in the United States have been on death row for more than 18 years. Ugh. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Terrible. Um there's, I think there's probably a fair about, as with all of these things that I'm about to get into, I think there's probably a fair amount more information, but we're giving a, you know, an abbreviated version. This one also totally fascinated me. You wrote down, when does the FBI get involved and why do they get involved in some cases and not others? And I have to be honest, I love, like my favorite shows are Law and Order, 
FBI, FBI International, FBI Most Wanted, NCIS Miami, NCIS Miami. Yeah, like I love all these different like police procedural type shows. And I, and so I read that and I was like, I should fucking know this. You should. And I totally don't, but now I do. Mm. So unless the local police department requests behavioral analysis or FBI laboratory assistance, the FBI has no authority to interfere in local murder investigations. However, there are circumstances where murder is a violation of a federal law and agents will work closely with local and state first responders and police departments. And some of these um, circumstances include um, if the local or state police department requests that the FBI get involved, um, if a homicide occurs on federal property, an Indian reservation, or is committed by a civilian on board a U.S. Navy or U.S. merchant marine ship in international waters, um, a hate crime or a crime where the person's civil rights were violated, um, a teller or security guard is murdered during the robbery of a federally insured bank, the murder victim is a U.S. president or other elected, elected appointed official. The murder victim is a federal judge, prosecutor, or law enforcement official. Um, if the purpose of the murder was to promote a criminal enterprise, such as organized crime or drug trafficking. If it's a court officer or a juror who is murdered due to testimony given at trial. If it involves violent crimes against interstate travelers, such as serial killings, um, or if it affects interstate commerce, such as murder for hire, um, where the U.S. Postal Service is used to send items that cause the death of the recipient. So all of those reasons, which I know is a lot, the FBI will get involved. Doesn't interest you, huh? Fascinated me. I was like, no, whoa. It doesn't not interest me. It makes me feel sad for all the people... Because those are very, while you said a lot of categories, yeah, they are all, or mostly, governmental. Yeah, that's true. Good point. I don't like that. That's such a I good think point. other people, and I get that some were hate crimes, and I support that and all of that. Mm-hmm. Support all of it. But I think, ugh. And also, you said something about, like, when the local whatever requests that the mm-hmm. FBI get involved. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure all local law enforcement could request that the FBI gets involved in this or such uh, investigation, murder investigation, and they don't always say, hi-ho, we'll be there. Right. But yeah, every, a lot, most of the things you said well, yeah, it's were all judges, you know. Um, uh, Marines, uh, naval. Well, yeah, because it's. Those people are important, but so are other or people. Or on federal ground or on. Uh, I don't land. like it. Well, that's because the FBI is the federal bureau. Well, I get that. And also, we all live under federal law. So shouldn't we have access to federal bureau? Ooh, good point. Uh, it's interesting to hear because I read that and my brain didn't think that at all. Well, so your I brain's like- a little less evolved. It's <laughs> <laughs> kidding. I'm totally kidding. Thank you very much. Um, so the next one was the Brianna Dennison Foundation website, which um, I did not, but I will put in the show notes for that episode. Um, it's bringbreeback.blogspot.com. And the foundation mission and vision statement is um, the Bring Bree Justice Foundation is committed to the safety of all women and children in Nevada in the memory of Brianna Dennison. 
Um, The focus areas of the foundation are to promote legislative and legal efforts to increase consequences preventing violent crime and to promote public awareness, assuring the safety of all women and children in Nevada. And uh, you can go check out the website. You know, I I don't want to just sit here and read what's on the website. That was kind of the gist of it. But um, you can, it looks like you can still donate to the foundation. And, um, you know, part of that effort was to get Brianna's law passed, which it was, we talked about in 2013, uh, which requires in Nevada, the collection and database entry of DNA from people arrested for a felony um, so that it can be compared you know, to future crimes, basically, and that law did pass and and exists. And they've they it's been from from what I've read, it it seems like it's been very helpful. Um, Can I jump in here? Sure. So what's the benefit of people donating today to that website to that cause? What Um, would it help? Bring public awareness assuring the safety of all women and children in Nevada, which is a pretty general statement. So I don't know. No, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, I appreciate that. That's the most that I could get gather from. And I don't know, you're right. I would be interested to know exactly like, where does that money go if you donate money? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but maybe if you go to the website, you will find a deeper understanding of it than I have. Um, does this also relate to the got Bree? So I'll be completely honest. I did write that down and I did find two articles where it did say that the ribbon said, said got Brie, but then every other article since then that I looked up, it said that it was blue ribbons that initially said, bring Brie back. And then after her body was found, it said, bring Brie justice. So full transparency, that may have been incorrect either either sure. in in what I read and I should have or I could have uh, more deeply investigated it. Well, so also, I think it's like when you find things that you find one or two things that link up, corroborate. Why yeah. wouldn't you say that? Right. And then here we are at the second look or the first lookup list. Oh. So to say, oh, maybe that's not accurate. Yeah, that's the purpose or yeah. part of the purpose of these. Totally. Um. So we had said that the jury was able to ask questions. They asked 99 questions. And you had written down, like, is that typical? That doesn't seem typical for a jury to ask questions. So there was a lot of, I found a lot of, not conflicting, but I found some some differing information. Basically, it's different in every state. So it's not typical. Um, I did find something on, on that website, Quora, where you can, like, type a question in and just reg- kind of, like, read it. Um, And this lawyer responded, he said, in Florida, where I practiced for some years, after a witness was questioned by the lawyers, jurors would have the opportunity to submit written questions to the judge. The judge would then review with the lawyers and determine if it was legally a proper question to ask. If the judge ruled it was, he or she would present the question to the witness. Um, And then I found on um, another legal website, it said there are some states that expressly encourage judges to allow jurors to question witnesses. And that's Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Nevada, and North Carolina. Out of these jurisdictions, Arizona, Florida, and Kentucky require that judges allow jurors to ask written questions. Um, The highest state courts of Indiana and Kentucky have ruled jurors have the right to ask questions of witnesses. And there's a couple other states that have various kind of 
it's up to the judge or Texas expressly uh, does not permit it. Uh, Georgia requires that all questions be written and submitted. Um, Mississippi law, only Mississippi law expressly forbids jurors from questioning witnesses. So it seems like it's on a uh, kind of a state by state It also seems basis. like state by state, yeah, like uh, everything you said, and also not super extra typical of jurors to ask, let alone 99 questions, any questions. Right. Absolutely. You had written down Supreme Court appeal process, but it was so extensive I didn't even go there. Um, so we have two more. By the way, I can't remember what I wrote down, so you could skip 50 and <laughs> okay. I won't be all, you skipped things. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't review it before we come here. All right. So the next one was, what does a forensic investigation entail and how does it differ from a regular investigation? And this was pretty interesting as well. Um, a forensic investigation is the gathering and analysis of all crime-related physical evidence in order to come to a conclusion about a suspect. They'll look at blood, fluid, fingerprints, residue, hard drives, computers, blah, blah, blah. All the things. All the physical evidence. Um, and unlike crime scene investigators, so CSI, another show that I love, um, forensic scientists do not visit the crime scene. Instead, they work in a lab and examine and analyze the evidence provided by the investigators. They receive the yeah. physical, tangible evidence and then go through it in the lab. They're not like on the, at the crime scene. Those are crime scene investigators. Does so, do fingerprints, like they can't receive, I guess they could yeah. receive prints. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so the crime itself is investigated by a police officer or detective. The forensic investigation is done by technicians or scientists using scientific methods to analyze the evidence, DNA, fingerprints, things like that. Oh, I'd like to be that person. Yeah, in the lab. Oh, my God. It's so cool. That's why I love CSI because they show all in the lab, like analyzing this and this and like looking at the most tiniest details of things taken from a crime scene and trying to figure out like how does it all connect. It's so cool. Mm. so cool um and this is the perfect lead-in to the last thing on the list which is honestly it could be like an entire podcast on its own but it's dna and dna has come up a lot it came up in this episode i believe it's come up in a previous episode and it certainly comes up in the episode coming out on monday number six uh-huh um so just to you know without um being condescending i'm just going to give a basic overview of what DNA is. Um, it's biological evidence such as hair, skin cells, semen, or blood that can be left on a victim's body or other parts of a crime scene. Properly collected DNA can be compared with known samples to place the suspect at the scene. So DNA stands for, I'll never be able to say this, deoxyribonucleic acid. I think you just said it. I think I did. <laughs> it's a building block for the human body. And virtually every cell in our body contains DNA. The DNA in someone's blood is the same as the DNA in their saliva, skin tissue, hair, and bone. And most importantly, DNA does not change throughout a person's life. So your DNA when you're born is the same as the DNA when you're 50, 60, 80, whatever. 90. 90. <laughs> now, fingerprints are not DNA then. It says skin cells, but not Skin prints. Correct. Interesting. Yes. So um, DNA is a powerful investigative tool because with the exception of identical twins, no two people in the world have the same DNA. 
So DNA evidence collected from a crime scene can be linked to a suspect and can eliminate others. Um, so if you're a criminal, mm-hmm. you should have a twin if you want to get right, away with it. Right, you hope to be a twin because <laughs> it'll give an extra layer of protection. Exactly. Um, so if no suspect exists, a DNA profile from a crime scene from crime scene evidence can be entered into the FBI's combined DNA index system, which is what CODIS stands for, to identify a suspect anywhere in the United States or to link several crimes together. Um, let's see. I'm trying to narrow down some of this information that I have because it's a lot and it's pretty information. It's pretty information. It's pretty interesting. Um, so this relates to 23andMe and Ancestry in some yes, way. Yes, yes. Uh, the most common form of DNA analysis is called polymerase chain reaction. Uh, it allows investigators to analyze s- samples of limited quality and quantity. It makes millions of copies of a very small amount of DNA, which allows the lab to then create a DNA profile. And then interpreting those DNA results, there's three different kinds. Inclusion, which is when a victim or suspect's DNA is consistent with the D, a DNA profile from the crime scene. So it's not 100%, but they call it included. Like it's a possible, there's a lot of similarities. There's a link, a possible link. Yes. A strong possible link. Yes. Um, exclusion is what it sounds like if it's not, there's no matchup. And then inconclusive. I guess also what it sounds like. Um, and then this non-conclusive. Is, yeah, this is the last thing they found. So possible location of DNA evidence and where you would get in the source of the DNA. So if you have a bite mark or like saliva, you've drooled or licked an area, saliva, uh, scraping under the fingernails, you can get blood or skin cells, um, inside or outside the surface of a used condom, semen or skin cells. Blankets, sheets, pillows, or other bed linens can have semen, sweat, hair, or saliva. Or blood if you have a little creepy scratch or something. Um, Clothing, same thing. A hat or bandana, um, a cigarette butt, a toothpick, the rim of a bottle, a can or a glass. Did we say underpants? Yeah, underpants, any kind of clothing. Um, Dental floss. Ooh. Tape or ligatures that people like tie you up with. You can get skin cells. So I mean, really, hair tie, hair ties. Totally, you can have hair. You can have skin cells from your scalp. What about like a mascara brush? Absolutely, because I'm going to list your, all of them your now. <laughs> eyelashes. Um, I mean, really, a, a sponge to put on makeup because skin cells. Yeah, or sweat. Ooh. Or if you have a little bit of spit on your face and lipstick gets on the thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you can really get DNA from. Anywhere, and if you really start to go deep into it, which I did, and then I stopped myself today, like you leave DNA fucking everywhere. Well, I don't think you have to go deep. What maybe that is deep, but what you just said lets me know that everyone's DNA is everywhere. Everywhere, like everywhere. literally everywhere. Yeah, I mean, think about how much hair I lose on a daily basis, or right. your skin. I'm unwilling to. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, that. Um, I think that there's probably a whole lot more that can be said about there is a whole lot more that can be said about DNA. But I didn't even the basis. I think that's a good like introduction to it. And then in episode six we talk about it more. So maybe in that lookup list we'll get into it a little bit deeper because I I I, after we recorded episode five, I was like, Should we talk so much about DNA? And 
was that even correct? Like, did I even talk about, like, can you get DNA from hair? You know, I said that you could, and I believed that you could, and then I questioned myself because I, you know, I don't know all the things. I'm not the knower of all things like you. Well, also I'm not, because remember you said DNA. My brain went offline, and I thought you were talking about, like, a video game. I, my brain went to <laughs> D&D. I'm all, DNA, what is she talking about? D&D, like, D&D? D&D, Dungeons and Dragons. I've never played that, but I'm interested a little bit. It's hmm. another conversation. That's interesting. Um, oh, she's picking her eyelashes and putting <laughs> DNA all over her laptop. And on that lovely note, we are going to sign off and say thank you for listening to this episode five lookup list. Those were some good ones. Though. That flight is kind of cool, huh? I have further things to show you when we sign off here. Okay, great. I can't wait to see. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to tune in on Monday. We have a very good episode for you. I hope every episode is good, but I think it's a good one. And uh, we will be back uh, with another look up list soon. And have a wonderful, wonderful, safe weekend. And watch where you put your DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. Good night and good luck. (laughs) Bye-bye.